you know, if you were struggling with your heart or if you were struggling with diabetes, you would certainly talk to your loved ones about it and you would tell them what you were going through, but you wouldn't expect them to fix it. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I am so excited to introduce our listeners to my friend Casey today. Casey is the mama of two little girls. She is pregnant with her third, who is a baby boy, and she is married to her husband, Jay. Casey is a pediatric physical therapist and owner of the very popular and very fast-growing Instagram account called Milestones and Motherhood. Thank you for making the time to talk to us today, Casey, and please introduce yourself for our listeners. Oh my gosh. Well, that was that was the intro. That's all I got. I'm Casey. I'm so excited to be here with you guys, first of all. Like Amy said, I started Milestones in Motherhood and um, here are a little over a year later and yeah, wife, mama to two and almost three and just chugging along. <laughs> And I'm really excited for this question that I was telling Casey right ahead of the interview, because some of these questions I've never heard her answer before, even though I've been getting to know her for over a year. I've really appreciated yeah. your vulnerability on Instagram. One thing you've spoken about is postpartum anxiety. Why do you feel like it's important to bring this conversation to Instagram? And what has the response been? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I think for me, I didn't even know what it was with my first. There were so many times that I reached out or didn't even really realize that I was reaching out to those around me and saying, you know, like, I don't feel like myself. I'm so worried. I mean, I didn't leave the bedroom, my husband, my bedroom with our firstborn for literally like two and a half months. I was terrified that if I went out of the room, something would happen that I couldn't control. And so it was like paralyzing. And anytime I would talk to people about how I was feeling, I would get the, well, welcome to motherhood. We worry, you know, you're, you're going to be worrying for the rest of your life. And I truly thought that it was normal. And it wasn't until I was actually following another influencer on Instagram, um, probably like a year after my first was born. And at that point, I had stopped nursing. I felt like my hormones were relatively regulated. And I was following her and she was sharing her experience with postpartum anxiety. And it was like listening to myself talk. And I could not believe that it had gone missed, that it wasn't even like scream for. And I have a fantastic OB. Like, it's not like, it's not like there was neglect in my postpartum care. You know, it was truly like no one had ever even asked me or insinuated in some way that what I was experiencing wasn't normal. And so for me, it was kind of the catalyst as my platform grew that I just wanted to share about my experience as well. And 
you know, if it helps someone or if it makes someone feel less alone or encourages them to get help, that to me is worth it. So, yeah. Well, and Casey, your words help so many people. Like just watching your stories and seeing that vulnerability, it does. It, it makes us not feel so alone. And that's the entire reason why the Herself podcast exists, to really open up these conversations and make sure that people know that yeah. there are others out there, there's places that they can get support, and that they're not in this alone. And I know that you started working with a therapist. So can you tell us a little bit more about how that process has gone and maybe share some of the helpful things that you picked up from her? Sure. Yeah. So I... Going into my second postpartum experience, I had really opened up. I wasn't going to therapy yet. Um, like I said, I, I felt like when I finally realized what had gone on in my first postpartum experience, I was already out of it. So I didn't necessarily feel like I was, I wasn't in a place yet that I was like, I think therapy would be beneficial though. Now in hindsight, I'm like, man, I should have done therapy. But anyway, um, I, had really opened up the lines of communication with my husband and just said like, this was really how I'm feeling. And these were kind of things that I felt like were waving my, my white flag, you know? And if he noticed those things, I wanted him to be honest with me, even if I was resistant to that, that maybe things were creeping back in, maybe I needed some more help. And so I felt like probably for the first six months or so postpartum, my second time, I felt like I had a pretty good hold on everything. Um, the, it definitely wasn't as intrusive, but what it started to present more as for me the second time was actually a little bit of like that mom rage where my anxiety would peak and it would present itself as total and complete overwhelm. And it would turn into those like ragey feelings where I felt like my reactions weren't uh, appropriate to the situation. You know, like the kids would just be being kids and in my head, I would be like, God, why are they being like this? You know, but it had nothing to do with them. It was really about my unmet needs and the struggle in my head. And so I talked to my husband about starting therapy and that was tough for him too, because I think there was a level, and I think this happens a lot. There was a level of him feeling like he had kind of failed me and failed to support me. But when I finally found a therapist and I spoke to her about it, she gave me a really, really awesome tip on how to handle that. And she basically had me explain to him that like, you know, if you were struggling with your heart or if you were struggling with diabetes, you would certainly talk to your loved ones about it and you would tell them what you were going through, but you wouldn't expect them to fix it. And I think that it was so eye-opening for me because I think when it comes to mental health, we often think that if we just talk about it, it's enough. But are we talking about it and making changes? And, you know, who are we talking to there? It just it was so eye opening for me to think of it that way, that like there is something in my brain that's happening chemically, you know, from hormones and from stress and from all of these things. And I couldn't expect him to fix it. And I think that was helpful for him too to kind of take that guilt off of him that he hadn't done enough for me, you know? Yeah. And I was watching your story one day, as I often do, and you shared a story about you getting your hair done after your work day. And you had used advice from your therapist because in your head, you're like, I can't, I can't ask more of Jay. I can't ask him to do dinner with the girls. And I can't ask my mom to watch them longer than she already does. She already does so much for me. 
And with the help of your therapist, you were like, okay, wait, Casey, just ask them, like ask them if this would be an imposition. And I think that's one thing that's so important for women to hear because we can, our minds can start to run away with this train of thought. But sometimes we just have to ask our partner or ask our mom or ask whomever, like, hey, is this okay? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think in that scenario, it was, it was one of those um, spirals for me, those anxiety spirals that turned into mom guilt and kind of shaming myself almost like you like feeling like I didn't deserve to go have a hair appointment. And it was, like you said, an imposition on him and on my mom who they're with my mom two days a week um, so that I can work. And it happened to be at the end of a longer day with them, not even a longer day, but you know, it felt like that in my head. And so when I was talking to my therapist about it, rather than just having that spiral in my head and where I would typically go with that is to then cancel the appointment and make up some reason that I couldn't make it. And she kind of talked me through, and it sounds so simple to say it, you know, it's like, so just ask them, just ask if it's okay. Or if it's, if it's too much, if it's imposing on them, but to actually do that is it's really difficult. And it's really difficult to, to stop that um, spiral in my head, you know? And so of course, when I asked them, they were like, no, we're totally fine. It's okay. And I went and it's not to say that the appointment that I wasn't nervous or kind of watching the clock or like, oh man, I should really get home. But it is a step in the right direction to acknowledging that I think part of the the bigger issue related to postpartum anxiety is like that feeling of having to do it all, all the time. And I think that was a huge part of why it was so hard for me the first time. I didn't outsource any help. I didn't let Jay help with anything. I didn't want him to help with anything or I wanted him to help, but I wanted him to do it exactly like I wanted it done. And when he didn't do it that way, it created more anxiety and tension between us. So I just was like, forget it. I'll do it myself and created this cycle of me shutting him out. And in turn, like almost almost impacting his relationship with Audrey because I truly like did not let him be a parent because it wasn't exactly how I wanted it done, you know? And it took a lot of communication and a lot of kind of examining within myself and letting go of that um, the second time around. And I mean, our relationship is stronger than it ever was, but it was a lot of work, you know? Right. A lot of work. And it's like one step in the right direction. And that practice of like implementing what our therapists say and and asking the question, like, does this imposition you or can I do this? And like keeping on practicing. But this is such an important conversation because so many women go through that, but we often don't talk about it. Like the thoughts stay in our own head. One thing that the community wanted to ask of you is that they say it's really hard to explain anxiety, depression, and overwhelm to your partner. Were you able to communicate the way you were feeling to Jay when you were going through this postpartum anxiety? When I was in it, no. I don't even think I knew what I was feeling. You know, like I I felt so out of control. Like I literally felt like I didn't know who I was and I couldn't stop the the train in my head of potential things and and issues and um like running through scenarios that could happen. 
So I feel like when I would, the first time around, when I would finally get to the point that I had to talk to him, I think the only thing that I kept saying to him was like, I just don't feel like myself. I don't, I just don't feel like myself and I don't know how to make it better. And it didn't get better until my hormones regulated because I wasn't doing anything to help myself, you know? And the second time I feel like I was much better at saying, not even explaining how the anxiety felt, but allowing him to help me more. So like saying, I feel really overwhelmed right now. It would be really helpful if you did the dishes tonight, or I feel really overwhelmed right now. If you could step in for bath time so I could go sit outside for a few minutes. And I feel like that was the start of me opening up to him because I didn't have to, I didn't necessarily have to put words to how I was feeling, but it, it was helpful for him too, because it gave him a concrete way to help me. Like, I think, I think oftentimes what we don't, first of all, we don't talk about how we're feeling at all because we don't know how to explain it. But I think that also creates a really tough situation for the people that are supporting us because if they have no idea how you're feeling, they can't possibly help you, you know? And so I think it gets really frustrating for everyone. And so that was the big catalyst for us in opening the communication because it was like, okay, I acknowledged that I was feeling overwhelmed. I gave him something tangible that he could do to help me. And then it opened up a conversation later. So, you know, he could say something like, so why were you feeling so overwhelmed? And maybe the answer that I gave him was, I really don't know. I was just totally overwhelmed in the moment and it was really helpful for you to step in. Um, So thank you for that, you know? And other times it would be like, it was a crazy day. I'm trying to work. I'm trying to juggle everything. And I, it just gets to the point that I feel like everything is like stuck in my chest and it has to go somewhere. And that turns into that anger or that anxiety or that overwhelm. So I think lowering, not lowering the expectation for communication, but like just starting somewhere. I am just reflecting back when I was a first time mom. And a lot of times when we're further down the road, we can then look back at ourselves and be like, wow, I wish that I could give that girl some help. For me, it was like lowering the drawbridge. Like I was like, I I had a lot of pride as a first time mom. Like I wanted to be able to do everything myself. It was a control factor, but it was also like, I want to show people that I can do this. Like I'm a good mom. And then further down the road, you're like, oh my gosh, I could have put the bridge down, accepted my husband's help, accepted my mother-in-law's help and not felt been so defensive. So I think when we open these conversations up, it's so important because there are moms coming behind us that are experiencing that first time postpartum anxiety. We know it can happen after any number of kids, but like that first time mom anxiety that a lot of us go through is normal, but like, what can we do to help ourselves? And the three of us have been working with a therapist doing the things now, you know, years later, and we're like, dang, if I would have known this stuff, if someone would have talked openly, I wouldn't have felt alone or that I just needed to deal with it myself. 
So as Casey's talked about, as you guys know, Abby and I are huge fans of therapy, and this podcast is sponsored today by BetterHelp, who has become our longest running partner. It's really nice to have a resource that is in your back pocket. You can get matched with a counselor that has expertise in the area that you need help with, whether that is in anxiety with your partner anything. It's someone that can come alongside of you and start to get you to a better place. So again, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and you can go to BetterHelp, that's betterhelp.com backslash herself for 10% off your first month. And you can join the over 1 million of us that are using BetterHelp. Thank you so much for sharing that part of the conversation with us. We are going to transition a little bit. Casey has so many dimensions to her. So we wanted to get into (laughs) a little bit of your behind the scenes challenge, because I know that you juggle a ton. You have your social media presence, your family, and your job as a physical therapist. As your business grew so fast, like it was challenging to navigate all of this. Can you tell us about what that journey looked like? And if you are any closer to finding a balance that works for you? Yeah. I was just going to say the the journey is I'm in it right now. <laughs> I, yeah, it's like, I don't really know what it looks like. I think, so my, the whole reason I started the Instagram page was because there's such an immense heartbreaking need for pediatric physical therapists. I mean, children wait in my area specifically months for an evaluation or for services to start. Some children even like age out of the three-year program before they get the help that they need. And so because I can't be everything to everyone, you know, it's like that, that desire to help as many people as possible kind of fueled the start of the Instagram page. And I was like, you know what? Like, why don't I just share this information and see what happens? And I never, ever in a million years expected it to take off like it did. And it has put me into the most amazing situation, but also a really tough situation for me because I don't want to, and you know, Amy, I know we've talked a lot about this. I don't want to not be treating and evaluating. Like I absolutely love it, but it's getting to the point that I'm thinking about where can I make the biggest impact and where can I share this message of education and empowerment to parents in the biggest place possible? How can I reach as many children as possible? And you know, I think that my heart and my, my gut is all pointing me towards continuing to grow and expand and offer classes and, and offer things on Instagram that can do that or through other platforms. And that has been a really hard thing for me to kind of not accept. That's not the right word, but like, you know, acknowledge is that I can't, I can't continue to do everything and do it well. And I think that until it was really impacting my relationship with the girls and my presence with the girls and with Jay, it wasn't until that, that I really started to think, okay, I I need to think of the bigger picture here. And like, what is, what is my goal? And ultimately that's to help as many people as possible. And I think right now that means transitioning to 
more of a full-time basis on Instagram. So I don't know. I'm, I'm in it. I'm making a lot of decisions, especially with maternity leave coming up. It's kind of like almost the perfect segue to, to transition out of things, but I don't know. It's, it's tough. I'm having a really hard time kind of finalizing that decision. Well, those big transitions, they are tough because you have so much of your identity and skill sets pulled into the different direction of the in-person care. So that that only makes sense. But as somebody who follows you so closely, like that, it makes me really excited to know that that is an option of even even having more presence and just building more impact because you really have. You've been so generous with your community. You've been super generous with Owen and I as well. And as many of our listeners know, our third baby, Owen, he has Down syndrome. So something that many people didn't know, what I didn't know before having a baby with Down syndrome is that it comes with a lot of extra appointments. And we see a physical therapist every single week. We have a ton of homework that comes along with it to make sure his muscles are growing and getting stronger. And we'll dive into all of that in a bit. But I'd love if you started by telling us, as a pediatric physical therapist, what are you seeing kiddos for most often? So it varies. What I started with as a peds therapist, my my career initially was with children five and older who had complex disabilities. So multiply disabled children who were either in residential care or educational facility. So that was incredible because I feel like that really gave me the background more than anything to with like assistive technology and, you know, gate trainers and orthotics and all of these things that I've been able to pull into the younger population now. And so in the zero to three, what I'm currently doing and what the page focuses on is the zero to three range. And it's so variable. I mean, I have some children that I've seen for Down syndrome or for cerebral palsy or spinal muscle atrophy. And then I have other children that I've seen for something, I don't want to say as simple as, but torticollis or just a a delay and no real reason why. So it's, it's so variable. I really, really have always loved um, medically complex children. Um, That has always been my heart. Some of my absolute gosh, like patients that I, I treasure so much and, and their families. And that has always been what I really, really love, but the whole treating the whole spectrum, I mean, just working with kids in general is, is so rewarding. And, you know, regardless of diagnosis or, or disability or anything like that, it's just, there's, there's so much. Well, it's easy to see your passion shine through for anyone that follows you for helping the kiddos. Thanks. I know the goal of starting your Instagram account was to help families, but let's be honest, milestones can be a tricky subject from maybe a mother-in-law saying, all my children were walking by 10 months. So then the mom feels bad and she panics or other people saying, you know, Sean Johnson never crawled and look at her. So like, let's dive into this a little bit. What are the crucial milestones that parents should watch for? Okay. Well, first of all, I just really quickly want to head that with, so I'll, I'll definitely share what those milestones are, but what I hope more than anything is that if you head over to the page, you see the value of the mini stones. So the things that are leading up to those big milestones. So maybe your baby isn't rolling exactly when you think they should be, but 
Are they grabbing their feet? Are they starting to roll to their side? Are they getting silly and putting their feet in their mouth? Those are all things that are so exciting if we can sit back and acknowledge and just watch how much our babies are learning every single day. So I think sometimes we get really, really caught up in those big textbook milestones, but I would love for moms to, and and dads to be able to see the value in those little things as well, because those are what lead to the big milestones, you know, and without them, those milestones aren't happening. So that is just, before I say the, the big milestones, but then the the big ones are the ones that we all think about. So rolling, sitting on their own, crawling, obviously crawling is probably the most controversial one, which I don't get, but crawling is huge on hands and knees, ideally um, walking, jumping, climbing on stairs. I think of the big milestones as all of the things that are leading to independent exploration of your child's environment. So all of the things that are letting them really explore and become their own person, because those those motor milestones are the catalyst for so many other things. Um, that exploration, it changes cognition, it changes speech, it changes everything. You know, so it's a hard line on on Instagram to or or dealing and sharing information with parents in general because it's so hard not to have that milestone comparison and that anxiety and that worry, especially when we're flooded with comments like you said, oh, my little one was walking at this time or my little one never crawls and they're totally fine, you know, and I think it can it can really become consuming. So I would love to take a little bit of the focus off of those huge milestones and and celebrate a little bit more what our kids are doing right this second, whether they need a little assist or not, you know. Mm, that's the perfect way of saying it. And I'm going to be totally transparent. It's taking me three kids in order to really focus in on those mini stones instead of just focusing in on those big milestones. So that's just a really good message for anybody at any season. But if you have children looking at those little things along the way um, and just what they're doing today and focusing in on that. But when do we know if we might need some extra help? So when do we know if we should be seeing a physical therapist? Like with Owen, we're given a handbook. He's like, you need speech once a week. You need physical therapy once a week. These are the things that you need once a month. But with our other kids, like we had no idea if what they were doing was fine or if they needed a little bit of extra care. So are there certain things that we should be looking for? Yeah, for sure. So there's always red flags, but I, that term like makes me cringe because the the easiest way I think for parents to think about it, I recommend following a two month rule. So let's say that you're expecting sitting when placed to happen around six months. If by eight months you're not seeing it, it's worth mentioning to your pediatrician. Same thing with rolling. We're expecting rolling to be either emerging or pretty solidified by six months, back to belly and belly to back. If by eight months you're not seeing any rolling, it's worth mentioning. Crawling is eight months we're expecting a child to be at least starting to explore the hands and knees position. If by 10 months you're not seeing any signs that it's coming, like them getting on hands and knees, rocking, transitioning in and out of sit, if those sort of things aren't happening, it's worth talking to your pediatrician. So I find that two-month rule to be helpful because it doesn't let anything get too far away from you. I think oftentimes, even when parents are concerned, they're told to wait and see. But things happen so quickly, especially from six months on, that when you're waiting, 
the time is precious, you know? So if, if you're, if it's eight months and your child isn't rolling or sitting yet, now you're starting to creep in on that crawling window, right? And then that crawling window might creep in on the walking window. So getting ahead of it, that two month rule feels really fair to me in saying, okay, maybe there's not something that requires intervention, but either way, getting a skilled set of eyes on it and making sure and giving a parent the tools to say, okay, you know, it might not be coming right this second and there's no red flags or nothing majorly concerning, but here's a list of exercises that you could do right this second that'll help. And that puts the ball in the parent's court and lets them feel like they're not just a sitting duck waiting for, you know, three months, four months to pass. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh man, now we've missed four milestones instead of two and it's playing catch up, you know? So that two month rule is, is typically what I recommend. And as somebody who is so numbers driven, but also wants to show grace in this area, having that two month range, that can be really helpful for, for people who are looking at, okay, this is exactly what it should be by this date. No, let's give it some grace, give us some extra time, but two months, then we also know that it's not getting too far out of, out of place. So one thing when we asked our listeners, Casey, one of the questions that came in over and over was, how do you recommend parents stay mindful of developmental milestones without obsessing over them? So it's so easy for us to compare other babies and quite frankly, people around us, they do it for us. I know that others have said, oh, his cousin, you know, his cousin's the same age. He's crawling all over the place. Like, why isn't he? So what's some information you can give to our listeners on this piece? Yeah. So I actually just put it in my post for today that I'm sure everyone is sick of hearing me say this if you follow along. But my biggest recommendation is to set the environment up for success. I don't ever want people to leave my page or leave an Instagram page and feel like they have to be their child's physical therapist. Not only is that not appropriate because, you know, we go to school for a really long time and we take continuing education and we learn. I don't ever want a parent to feel like they have to do full-on PT sessions and it takes away from your relationship with your child. So when it becomes that, that kind of milestone obsession, we lose sight of all the, the amazing things that your little one is doing. So my hope is to give parents the tools to set the environment up for success so they don't have to feel like they're on the floor physically performing a physical therapy session and encouraging their little one to do X milestone because environment setup is so powerful. If we are, you know, Abby, I saw in your stories the tip about rolling that your therapist gave you. All it takes sometimes when they're close enough is that little bit of toy placement and maybe a little hand on their leg and bam, they're rolling. You know, that that toy placement is huge, especially like with crawling and walking. If your little one is just pulling up to sand and they can't see the toy that's on top of the couch and you take the couch cushion off and now all of a sudden it's at eye height, that's going to drive pulling up to stand. That's going to drive cruising for the toy that they want. That's going to drive them letting go and playing with the toy with both hands, which is the beginning of independent standing. So I think what I would love more than anything for parents to know is that you don't have to, and you shouldn't be your child's physical therapist. Um, You can truly set the environment up for play and maybe give a little help here and there if it's needed um, and, and really watch them explore. You know, and for your girls, which I can hear just coming in, 
they have a mom that is a physical therapist. So is it, do you struggle taking that head off with your girls? And then also with a lot of parents, we have trouble not comparing siblings. You know, you can, Max, our first, was very fast at his milestones. And so for his brothers coming behind him, it was easy to be like, well, Max was crawling by six months. Yeah. I mean, it, it has definitely taken a lot of intention um, for me to turn that part of my brain off, especially because I've shared this on, on Instagram that um, Liv has low muscle tone. And so as soon as she was born, I noticed that her tone felt different than Audrey. Um, and it was really difficult for me to enjoy her without being a physical therapist. So I was setting up her environment, but then I would catch myself doing a full-blown PT session, you know, and I was like, okay, I need to take a step back from this. And it definitely is, is not easy to turn that off. And I think that's part of why I feel so passionate about just being careful with my words on Instagram. And like, you know, I'll, I'll often get questions or, you know, could you do a segment on this? And there are certain things that I'm so afraid to share because I don't want to send people into those spirals or I don't want to contribute to anxiety, you know? So I don't have a definitive answer, I guess, on that. My my answer is that I just try to be really cognizant of it and like kind of check myself if I'm feeling like I'm getting to the point that I'm not enjoying them or I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm becoming like a little bit too obsessive about it. Yeah, and that's that's such a fair thing to say because we can look at all of our children and think like, oh, they should be here, they should be here. But then when you think about it, it's like every single human being is different. At every single stage, every single season, they're all going to be different. And being a physical therapist, I know that it just seems like it could be extra and identifying right away that your child does have low muscle tone. That might not be something that the average person would notice right away, but having that background, I could see how that could be even harder. All right, taking a quick break to bring up our newest podcast partner. You guys, I was recently introduced to this brand and I fell in love at first bite. So it's Picky Bars. If you've been following me on Instagram, you know that I've been obsessed. It's the right taste. It's the right ingredients. I know what I'm putting into my body is going to taste good, and I know that's going to be good for me. So we just got back from our first family trip. We went to the Smoky Mountains. It was a ton of hiking. I literally packed our backpacks full of these, and they came in clutch. Like I didn't have to do a ton of time in the kitchen. I wasn't worried about being hungry on the way, and I knew that Colin was also going to eat them, and he is very, very picky when it comes to these types of things. You guys, they are gluten, dairy, soy, and GMO-free. If you're vegan, if you're not doing nuts, they also have bars and products that are free of those as well. I wish I had these when Micah was going through all of his allergies because he was pretty much allergic to all of those things, and this would have made my life so much easier. They also have the perfect carb-to-fat-to-protein ratio. So when I was training for Ironman and when I start to do some of these longer-distance runs, oh, it's just going to be it's going to be amazing. Love, love, love this brand. So if you want something that tastes great and also makes you feel great, Picky Bars is definitely where it's at, and we have a discount for you guys. So if you spend at least $25 on their site, you are going to be able to get 20% off. So if you go to pickybars.com backslash herself, that's going to be 20% off your order of at least $25. Again, Picky Bars, P-I-C-K-Y-B-A-R-S.com backslash herself. 
And Amy and I, we both have your milestones PDF, which it's such a good way for parents to know more about milestones. You share so much free information on your Instagram page, and this really takes it those next steps further because it goes month by month. And it comes with some helpful exercises to do with your child to really help them meet those mini stones and those milestones. And I think, I mean, empowering parents with this information, it's so helpful because then we're not left guessing. And so much of the uncertainty or so much of the nervousness comes in that uncertainty certainty. And these guides, they really just make sure that you know the next couple of steps. So was that the goal of the PDF? And maybe share some other resources that you have. Yeah. So I think one of the most common questions I got when I first started the page was like, what should my little one be doing? Like parents were like, I don't even know how to play with my baby. You know, I think we often we get told to do tummy time when you leave the hospital, right? But like, what the heck does that mean? And what do you do if your kid hates tummy time? Like it's, that is like the catalyst of, of overwhelm, you know, because you're told to do one thing typically. And when that one thing isn't happening, when you're dealing with reflux or you're dealing with a baby who just wants to be held or hates being on their belly, it starts to really kind of snowball in your mind, right? Where you're like, oh my gosh, if I can't even get them to do tummy time, how the heck am I going to get them to roll? How am I going to get them to do all of these other things? So my hope was to give that education and those activities to make that play more intentional and to learn how to set your environment up in a way that caters to your little one's development rather than just saying do tummy time because there's so much more to it than that, right? Like, and from an anatomy standpoint, it doesn't really make sense to put your baby flat on the floor because they're still in that fetal position in those first few weeks. So my hope was just to really give parents the foundation and and give them ways to be intentional about play so that if that's the kind of parent you are where you want to you want to be doing something knowing that it's leading to something else, that that is what that's there for. And, you know, that was the same thing with the the masterclasses that I've come up with since then for the big milestones. So the, the zero to three year PDF covers all of the, the big gross motor milestones in those first three years with activities to encourage them. But it's a very um, kind of brief overview of each one versus the masterclasses is really like focused in on just that one milestone. So there's a tummy time one, um, there's a rolling and sitting one, a crawling one, and then a walking one. And my hope with those is I think that what we have to acknowledge is okay is that there's all sorts of different parents, right? So some parents want to just let it happen, which is awesome. And for a lot of babies, that is totally okay. But some babies need a little more help. Some babies need full-on physical therapy. Some just need the environment set up a little more intentionally. Some are, fall somewhere in the middle, you know? And so I think for a lot of parents, like you said, Abby, that uncertainty comes from not knowing what to do or not knowing what's coming next or how to encourage it. And so my intention with the masterclasses is for those parents that want tangible ideas and activities to do with their little one to encourage direct acquisition of a milestone. That's what that's there for. Casey, this was such a valuable interview. I am so proud of you. Like proud comes to mind because I've literally watched this grow from almost day one to where you are now. And 
what comes out in your voice is your passion for it. And I know that you're in this business to really help and support families. And the way you did that throughout this interview, whether it was talking about your anxiety or talking about your specialty, really did shine through. So please tell everyone where they can find more of you. Thank you for that, first of all. And right now, um, everything is on Instagram at milestones.and.motherhood. And everything is in the process of getting converted over to a blog. So I don't have anything to share for that. But all of the masterclasses and PDF, there's a link in my bio to access any of that. Um, And I do have a website, um, milestonesandmotherhood.com, where you can also um, get access to some of that stuff as well. Thank you. And also thank you for being so open with your struggles around anxiety today. These are the topics that we need to bring into the light so that more women cannot feel so so alone. And you do exactly that. And then also just with your expertise and milestones, I know personally you've lifted just a huge burden off my shoulders with the help of your Instagram account and then also that PDF. And just your ability to give the power to parents to really make these big changes in their kiddos' lives. Like it's remarkable. Casey, it's absolutely remarkable. And we are so thankful that you shared this piece with our community today. So thanks again. Thank you for having me.